Well, I haven't preached on a Wednesday night in a while, but it's been good to have Pastor CJ preach and bring us through Colossians, and what a tremendous book that was. And I, I haven't, not only have I not preached on a Wednesday in a while, I haven't preached on this Wednesday, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I'm always gone, but I'm glad to be able to be here and to think about the subject of Thanksgiving. You know, in today's culture, uh, now people just call it Turkey Day. That's all it is, is Turkey Day. Uh, and maybe a day to watch football. It's a holiday to get off of work and so forth. Uh, but there is so much more to this day for the Christian. And uh, of course, if you know the history of this day, uh, it goes back to the pilgrims thanking the Lord for uh, his goodness in their lives. And of course, people today have tried to wreck that whole picture and say, pilgrims never should have been here in the first place and blah, 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 blah. Uh, well, I'm just glad they were thankful for God's goodness in their life, okay, and his provision. So many of them had died. So many of them didn't even make it off the boat. And if they did make it off the boat, they did so just to die in the first winter. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things they could have said a lot of griping, grumbling. Uh, Lord, did you bring us all the way around the world to kill us off one by one? And there's all kinds of things that could have been said. And maybe they thought it, and maybe somebody said it. But I'm glad to know that there was a day when those folks said, no, we're going to stop, and we're going to take a meal and fellowship together, break bread together, and give thanks for God. He is faithful, and He is good. I believe one of the sins of the Bible that stands out consistently from cover to cover is the sin of ingratitude. It's a sin of unthankfulness, a sin of really self-centeredness, uh, looking at what I deserve and what I'm entitled to. Entitlement is plaguing our society today, and people are celebrated if they champion themselves and their entitlement. And, yeah, you're right. You deserve that and everything. And there's nothing about humility that's celebrated today. Uh, it's just arrogance and pride and entitlement that is celebrated by and large in our culture. We as Christians need to make sure that we do not get caught up with this worldly philosophy, but remain humble before our God and always grateful always thankful. Uh, the culture does not set the tone for Christians. We let God's Word set the tone. You know, it's sad to me every time <clears throat> I hear of a, a young man or young woman who grew up in church, grew up with a Bible in their lap, grew up with preaching and singing and everything else, and you hear them rebel against God, rebel against the Word of God, leave it all behind and just go headlong into the world. Uh, you know, that is a well-worn path that has been traveled by many, many Christians, unfortunately. Uh, Paul even said, there Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. It, it gets hard in the Christian life. And things happen and people get upset and you begin to get bitter and for whatever reason, you, you say enough's enough and off you go seeking other things. But I've always wondered, what are the key things that cause this progression to take place? What triggers it? I really believe it does come back to gratitude. You know, uh, 
when you look at a, a teenager, for instance, who's raised in a Christian home, and everything that they're given in that Christian home, though it's a, not, a, not a perfect home, and their church, no doubt, is not a perfect church, uh, no doubt they had hurts, no doubt there was problems. But to leave everything that God has given them and just go out into the world is, is definitely a, a sad thing. And I believe that it is oftentimes that perspective that cannot see what God is doing and thank Him for it that leads an individual then to just park on what I didn't get, what I should have had, what I should have deserved or whatever, and you fester and that unthankful spirit begins to produce fruit that leads in a very scary direction. What is it that causes a once joyous Christian servant who served the Lord faithfully for 30 years, taught Sunday school or whatever, what is it that causes this individual to live out their final years, their golden years, the prime years of committing to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also? What is it that causes that dear saint to become sour and live out their final days in bitter despondency? Well, something got sideways somewhere along the way. Somebody did something they weren't supposed to do. Somebody said something they weren't supposed to say, and they should have known better. And I'm hurt, and I'm tired of being hurt, and I've been hurt too many times, and how could God let this happen, and blah, blah, blah. And now here's this saint who's off on the sidelines, checked out, bitter, angry, and causing, instead of a legacy of faith to be handed off to the next generation, it's a legacy of now bitterness. And the next generation said, I don't want any part of that. Maybe I'll just save 70 years and take my exit now. Thanks, Uncle So-and-so. These kind of things are sad. These are very tragic things. And, you know, life hurts, and it's going to hurt. And church sometimes hurts. And church people will disappoint you, and pastors will disappoint you. May I say hurt you. And things will happen. But as Pastor CJ mentioned a moment ago when we sang that song, there's always an opportunity to be grateful, to stop and thank the Lord. If you can't thank Him for anything, you thank Him for breath, and you thank Him for salvation. And if you just park on that for a while, you just might see your spirit lift just enough to see something else you can thank Him for. And then something else from there, and God can begin to change your perspective. When I think of this, and we'll be in Romans in a minute, when I think of this, I think of David. David was a guy that had so much go wrong he had so many people stab him in the back. He wrote psalms about those people. <laughs> I mean, what they did to him is forever inscripturated. Like we know exactly who did what and so forth. And he had so much go wrong in his life. But you know what? He had a lot of stuff go right. 
He had some amazing things. Yeah, but he had to live in caves and God anointed him and then forgot about him for years. And he had to run from his enemies and he was hiding and uh, hanging out with the Philistines. I mean, God abandoned him. What was that about? That was God's school. That was how to be a king of Israel freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year, grad school. Uh, God was... God was not forgetting him, abandoning him. That was all part of the plan. And you see David struggling with it. And that's not the message tonight, but just warming up to it. You see David struggling with it all the way through the Psalms. And you see him complain, and you see him wrestle, and then you see him say, no, praise the Lord for this, and praise the Lord for that, and he is good. And, and then he'll stop, and he'll start, he'll start going back to it again. Ah, but this guy got me mad, and that guy, Lord, remember him. Ah, but you know what, though? But hang on, but let's praise God for, and, and David teaches us much about this struggle. But nobody has to leave God for the world no teenager needs to rebel. No teenager had it so bad that there was no course but to just go off and do it their own. No Christian servant in their 70s or 80s was hurt so bad that they had no choice but to just be sourpuss till Jesus comes. No, all of us have plenty in the Word of God to direct us back to the example and many examples of those who were able in the hurt, in the tiredness, in the sickness and despair and whatever they were dealing with, uh, they were able to find thankfulness. <clears throat> I had a whole lot more notes for the screen and I somehow deleted them all before I gave them to John. So at 20 minutes before the service, I was quickly recreating a couple of slides. So we're not going to have much on the screen. But we do have at least one verse. And if you have your Bible, you can find the others. <clears throat> so Romans 1. This is a backwards way to talk about Thanksgiving. But this is Thanksgiving nonetheless. Verse 21 says, Because that, when they knew God... They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And then this scripture, this passage continues from this point to get worse and worse and worse and worse. You know this passage, I'm sure you know it well. You've got people who eventually become blasphemers, God-haters. They become bent on sin, bent on evil, and God eventually just turns them over to their reprobate mind. And that means a mind that's just worthless, just a worthless mind. He just turns them over to it. I read one author, and I like what he said. He said, it's not that God declares anyone reprobate. You are now henceforth reprobate. Now you're done. But you pursue this, and he finally just turns you over to it. Did you know that if you pursue something long enough, God just might say, go for it? Brother Charlie and I were talking today in my office about Balaam. Balaam's a 
fun guy to, <laughs> to study. What a character. Balaam is an Old Testament example of this. He wasn't thankful. He knew something about God. But he had his own imaginations of what he wanted. He was covetous. He, he was not thankful and content. And his foolish heart was darkened. And he kept trying to do certain things that he thought would benefit him. He pursued that which would give him station and wealth and set him up for life. And God said, no. And Balaam would say, okay, I'll try again tomorrow. And uh, God withstands him and even uses his donkey to withstand him. He crushes his foot against the wall. Do you guys remember this story? If not, go back to Numbers 22 and be like, what in the world was pastor talking about? Numbers 22, 23, 24, read the story. And then the end of the story is Numbers 31. But uh, at the end of the, of the time with the donkey, the donkey talks to him miraculously. God puts words in the donkey's mouth. Sometimes, did you know, when you won't listen to God and you stop hearing his voice, God will start talking to you from other places. He'll get your attention here, there, or if he has to open the donkey's mouth, he does love us enough to do that. And then he sees, he sees this angel with a sword. Like, how did you miss that? <laughs> he sees what he wants to see, just like you and I oftentimes. We see what we want to see. We're going where we want to go. We're doing what we want to do. Oh, there's an angel trying to kill me. Oh, God, were you mad at me? You didn't want me to do this? And every time he asks God, should I not do this? God says, okay, go ahead. And, and God's not playing games with him. He's testing his heart. He's telling him, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go. But every time, every time Balaam pushes against that no, God says yes. And then finally, God just turns him loose. But God fills his mouth with the prophecies that he wanted to bless his people with. Ultimately, Balaam goes home upset. And then 31, chapter 31, we find out that he counseled the Midianites uh, some, some counsel that, that was basically go uh, cohabitate with the Israelites and then intermarry with them. And that's how you can bring these people down. So in a sense, he cursed the people, or tried to, even though God said, I'm going to bless them. He pursued his own way. God gave him over to his empty, worthless, reprobate mind. And uh, Deuteronomy, uh, sorry, Numbers 31 tells us that he perished with the kings. When Midian was destroyed, Balaam was with them, I personally believe. He was with them because he got the reward he had been seeking the whole time. And when they came in with the sword, here he was right with, the, right with his buddies. And he gets the end that he had coming to him. You see, in Romans 1, this reprobate mind where God finally says, you want this so bad? You want this sin so much? I will just give you over to it. And when that happens, guess what? It gets worse. He gives them over, gave them up to vile affections. Even their women did change the natural use to that which is against nature. Likewise, also the men. 
leaving the natural use of the woman, burn their lusts one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and it goes on and on. They're given over to a reprobate mind. They're filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers. I'm sorry if I'm going fast here without natural affection, implacable. It means uh, unable to be placated, they, you, unreasonable. You can't reason with them. You, you, can't, you can't make a truce with them. Unmerciful. Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, when we talk about this passage in Romans chapter 1, we usually are applying it to the lost and unbelieving world. But there is definitely a sense in which a believer who follows this same progression starting with the verse that we started with, verse 21, can experience as a carnal individual much of the same errors, much of the same darkness, much of the same blindness. I've lived long enough to see many believers who have so quenched the Spirit, gotten so discouraged, so hardened, so backslidden, they've experienced many of these same things. Now, before you just jump in and say, ah, they couldn't be saved, I would, I would say, you know, I think the Scripture shows us many examples of believers who the Bible never says was not a believer, and yet they fell into all sorts of self-centered sin. Got themselves in a world of hurt, David even being one of them. You know, when we, when you look at 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians talks about the spiritual man. It also talks about the natural man, and it also refers to the carnal man. You have these three designations. A spiritual man is a man who is saved, who is uh, minding the things of the Spirit and is walking in dependence upon the Spirit. The natural man is that man who is still in his natural state, uh, unregenerate. He's not redeemed, and uh, he is just living according to his flesh. That's the natural man. Well, then what's the carnal man? And, and you know, Paul says to the Corinthians, are ye not carnal and walk as men? What's he talking about? He's saying you're fleshly. The word carnal is the, is the, the word for flesh-oriented, flesh-centered. He's telling these people who should be spiritual people that they are not acting as spiritual people. They're acting as carnal, fleshly individuals and walking as men. They're walking like natural men. Now, some believers don't want to believe that a true believer can do that. But if that was not the case, 1 Corinthians would have had no point. We wouldn't have 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians covers just about every sin you can sin. Brother John, didn't you say you preached a whole message on the whole book of Corinthians? Or, were you the one who told me that? Preached the whole book in one, in one message? 
The church, there we go. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, if you got a church that's really bad off, you preach the whole book of Corinthians in one message. Um, you know, if, if believers couldn't live like the lost, we wouldn't need scathing messages like that. But I believe in 1 Corinthians, Paul makes it clear that there is the spiritual man, there is the natural man, and there is the carnal man who's living like the natural man. And I'll tell you, the fastest way to carnality, you know what it is? An unthankful heart. It just starts right there. It's not something you saw on TV. It's not, uh, you know, getting mad at the stoplight because it won't turn green. That could all be part of it. But I'll tell you what it is uh, in this passage, and I think many of us could probably relate to this, the fastest way to carnality is just that subtle shift from gratitude and thankfulness and praise to God to now I'm, 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 I'm discontent, I'm not getting what I deserve, I'm feeling entitled, I'm not feeling recognized, and that is the subtle shift because at, on the surface, unthankfulness doesn't seem that bad. It just seems like, oh, come on. Everybody, everybody has this. But this is the beginning of the progression, folks. You see it again in verse 21 on the screen there. When they knew God, and they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. And then it goes bad fast. I believe this is where it starts with teenagers. I preached in I don't know how many Christian schools in evangelism. I was a young evangelist, and so young evangelists oftentimes get a lot of Christian schools. And you would think, man, a Christian school would be the best place to preach. All these kids that love the Lord. All these Christian kids in one place. I mean, it's going to be great. I am telling you what. Toughest crowd to preach to ever. Christian school chapel. All these kids sitting there. What are we doing here in this Christian school? If I was in the public school, man, I'd really be cool. I'd have all these friends. I'd play football. I'd be going someplace. I'd get a scholarship or whatever. I'm just in this Christian school. And I don't know. It, it, was, it was always so sad to me how, how entitled these kids were, how upset they were, as they're being given an education that their parents are paying for. They could have a free education in the public school. Parents are working two jobs to put them through Christian school. These Christian school teachers are making 18000 a year. The principal's working three jobs. They, they're, they're scraping together to do this. We're going to do a Christian school. All the old ladies at the church volunteer in the cafeteria and all of this. You know, let's make this happen. These kids are coming through. I hate this place. What is up with this? This is just a bunch of garbage food and stupid academics. And well, why are we wasting our time in here? Sad. And a lot of those kids, were, many of the Christian schools, you know, they would say their mission would be to prepare the next generation of Christian leaders to impact the world for Christ. But many of those kids go straight into the world as fast as they can. 
And it's not just the Christian school. I'm not here to preach against Christian schools. We don't have a Christian school. We have a lot of homeschoolers. We have a homeschool fellowship day, uh, what, one Friday a month? It's great. It's fun. You know what? You'll find the same thing in Christian homeschools. Not, not all the time, but you'll find it. Oh, we're missing out. If I was just in the public school, what I could get, what I could have. And mom is homeschooling seven kids, and she has two in diapers, and she's cooking with this foot and answering the phone with that foot and, you know, and all this. And, and dad's trying to keep it together. And every now and then he gets that call, come home if you ever want to see your kids alive. You know, and, uh, and uh, there's so much goes into that. And you got a kid. Ungrateful. Resentful. I've heard kids even talk about how homeschool was abusive by virtue of the fact that they were kept from certain things they were entitled to. It was emotional, psychological abuse. We were sequestered away in our house, isolated from the world, scarred forever. One day, that kid's going to sit down next to the Apostle Paul in heaven, assuming that's where that kid makes it. And he's going to be like, man, I was abused. Paul says, really? What happened to you? Ah, my parents homeschooled me. And Paul's like, wow, I had shipwrecked stone three times, you know, <laughs> stripes on my back and all this. Um, and not just the apostle Paul. I mean, I think, I think uh, we, many of us today in America have just lost perspective Somebody was telling me, I think it was Shannon, that you went someplace, and, or was it you, somebody, where they said to the crowd, how many of you want to get rid of the Constitution? Was that you? And everybody said, get rid of the Constitution! And then how many of you want to keep it? And Shannon's like, me. <laughs> four people, four people. That's our culture. Are we grateful? Are we grateful for the founding fathers? Are we grateful for... Uh, the, what we have, are we grateful for the sacrifice? No. I was listening to some podcasts about our country and people debating whether or not we should be thankful for it. And uh, this, this one fellow, he had, the, he had the, the idea that since basically when the, when the country was, was started, we didn't have a lot of things right. There's a lot of things. There was still slavery. There were still things that we had to figure out. And therefore, this guy wanted to write the whole thing off. It's just sad. You can't be grateful for what is good, what God did give, for the fact that we eventually did get to where we needed to go on some things, and we're still getting further on other things. We're still hopefully growing, and we're regressing in other ways. But there's an epidemic of unthankfulness. How do we fix this? How can we bulletproof ourselves from following this worldly downward progression of sin and destruction? And no, Christians are not immune to the same downward spiral that the world goes through in, in Romans 1. Well, we'll just look at this verse very quickly. It says, When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. I'll say the first thing that 
we can do to bulletproof ourselves against ingratitude is we need to get to know God personally. When they knew God, they knew of Him, they knew a lot about Him, uh, depending on who we're talking to, if it's a lost man, he didn't know everything he needed to know. Maybe it's a saved man who knew God uh, as his Savior, but still did not know him intimately and personally. And therefore, when you only have a shallow understanding of who God is, there is just a lack of gratitude because you don't even, you don't understand his mercy. You don't even understand his grace. You don't understand his love. You haven't come to grips with uh, even his sovereignty, that he is in control, his protection. You know, one thing I appreciate about, appreciate about the Psalms is all the way through the Psalms, if you don't know God and you want to know him better and you said, Pastor Barber, what's one book of the Bible I can read and really get to know God's character? I think I'd tell you the Psalms. His character is just laid out like a, a painter uses the colors to bring it all out. I mean, you've got every, every, just about every aspect of God's character in the Psalms, his protection, his sovereignty, his goodness, his grace. He's a father. He's a provider. He's the shepherd. He is everything. He's, he's the comforter. Many of us have a shallow relationship with him. And therefore, we're set up to not be grateful. We don't really know what he has done for us. We don't really know who he is in our life. Now, one way to get to know God personally is through trials. And so if God sends you a trial, if God sends you a health trial, just think of it as a personal invitation from heaven where God has said, we're going on a date. That's what my kids say. Dad, can we go on a date? We have, we have daddy-daughter dates and uh, take him out for a, well, we do curly fries. Right, Erica? She loves curly fries. Yep. We go out for curly fries and talk about Barbies or something. <laughs> Whatever she wants to talk about. It gets very interesting. You know, when I tell the kids we're doing a daddy, a daddy time, uh, you know, they're all about it. And we go out, it's just one-on-one. -on -one. It's a good thing. No one's like, oh no. Oh no, I'm going to get close to dad. That's terrible. When, when God sends you a trial, it's him saying, hey, it's your time. Hop in the car. Let's go for a drive. You're going to get to know me a little bit better. And maybe there's some things you're not going to like about it, but I'm going to be right here with you. I want you to know me in a way that you have not known me before. You're going to get to know about my comfort. You're going to get to know about my peace. You're going to get to know about me as the great physician. You're going to get to know me as the, as the, the, the fearsome protector, the one you can trust in. Folks, this is so important. Teenagers, adults, it's so important that we don't settle for a shallow relationship with God. Get to know Him intimately. And this is one of the things that I see with homeschool young people or Christian school young people or public school young people. The ones who have to get a hold of God are the ones who make it. 
People will say to me, they'll ask me, Pastor, so we're about to make the big decision. We got kids, and they're almost that age. What is it? Homeschool? Christian school? Or public school? I'll tell you exactly what I tell them. Any one of those can work, depending on how that kid gets a hold of God. All of them have drawbacks. All of them have challenges. But I I would not say, like some of my pastor friends would, I've heard them thunder from the pulpit, basically it's akin to sin to put your kid in a public school. Not necessarily. In some cases, the, the family has no choice. And I'll tell you about some kids who go to public school. Some kids who go to public school learn to get God down deep in their soul. And some kids who go to Christian school learn to float with the rest of the dead fish that are stinking down the river. Now, I don't think that you have to go to the devil from the Christian school. I don't believe you have to go to the devil from the public school. I do believe this wherever you are. You have to get to know God personally and deeply, and he has to be real to you. He cannot be your mommy's God or your daddy's God. He has to be your God And in Romans chapter 1, you have people that God just didn't get very deep in their life. They knew God, but secondly, they glorified Him not as God. So secondly, we need to glorify Him as God in our life. This is a big deal. Glorify Him as God. What is this saying? You are ascribing to Him the glory He deserves in your life, in your existence You are recognizing everything I have is from Him. You know, when I was a kid, I really struggled. My parents had me homeschooled, and I had people asking me if I would go out for J.I. Case High School. There was a couple of kids who went from there to Division I school, and then one of the guys played for the L.A. Clippers. We were the same age. And uh, I wanted to go so bad, and... And I I felt like my parents were holding me back. Well, they knew every kid's different. Every kid is different. And if I had gone to Case High School, I know what I would have done. And my parents knew what I would have done. I would have just gone. I was not strong. I was not settled. I would have gone straight to the world. I knew it. They knew it. And I couldn't see what God was doing in my life. And so I complained about it. As opposed to, I could have glorified God for two parents who loved me enough to say, John, we know that this is not what you're supposed to do. I know you love basketball. I know you want to play for Case, but you're going to play for the homeschool team. How about that? <laughs> and it's going to be great. Uh, uh, but, but I could have glorified God that he had given me parents that loved me, parents that protected me, parents that prayed for me. I remember thinking, I wish, I remember one day I was so upset. I remember laying in my bed at night and my coach at that time was a man named Mr. Hall. And Mr. Hall's son, his his name was Danny, Danny Hall. He was our point guard. Danny Hall was about, I don't know, whatever. If I'm this tall, Danny was down here, a little kid. He was Pistol Pete Maravich in the flesh. The kid could do everything 
But he, I don't think he grew two inches after that. I mean, he, he, stayed, he stayed small, and I just kept growing. And I thought, and, and his dad, Mr. Hall, had one goal, get this kid to the NBA. Well, that kid wasn't going to go to the NBA. He needed a growth spurt. He was just too short. He would have been Muggsy Bogues, five foot three. And I thought, God could have put me in Mr. Hall's family. All I need is a dad like that to get behind me. And I was six foot at 12, six foot four at 14, and just give me the right coach and the right thing. If it just lines up, man, maybe I could go somewhere. God, you messed it up. You got the wrong kid in the wrong family or something. And I remember questioning God, and I loved my mom and dad. I didn't really want to leave the family. I just wished something could have been different. You know what I'm saying? I remember questioning God and questioning God, and that led me into ingratitude, which led me into darkness and vain imaginations, and I even started down this trail. And the foolish heart gets darkened, and but for the prayers of my mom and my dad and the preaching of God's word and timely messages, God brought me back off of this path and to a place of thankfulness. We glorify him as God in everything. Where he has us, his timing, his plan, his structure, his rules, the parents we have, the situation we have, the church we have, the education we have. He's in control, and when you glorify him, you are restating to yourself and to him and to anybody else who would hear that he is God, not me. He is in control, not me. And I am reminding myself of that, and I'm grateful. If you and I were God, we would mess it all up. These folks in our passage, they did not get to know God well enough. And they did not glorify Him as God. They wanted to have a share in what God says. We see it today. This book is deficient. It doesn't quite speak to 2023. There's some things that are just out of date. And, you know, God, when he planned the whole thing, just kind of forgot about, uh, you know, 2023 was coming. And so we've got to figure things out ourselves. And we've got to make this work for us. And we, we put ourselves forward. No, we need to submit to him, glorify him as God, and praise him. And that leads us to the third thing, which is just make the choice to be thankful. And did you know that when you make the choice to be thankful, you are actively submitting? You are bowing your will. Because there are things that when we make the choice to be thankful about, there are things that uh, we aren't thankful about and we are upset about. But by making the choice to say, God, I want to thank you right now for this you are bowing your knee. You are letting him be God. You are glorifying him as God, and you are going to get to know him better. You know, we, we know that we get to know him better in suffering because uh, isn't that what Paul said, that I may know him? And he said part of that is in the fellowship of his sufferings. Thank God for your suffering. Thank God for the injustice Thank God that you were done wrong. Oh, are you telling me to be a doormat? No, didn't tell you to be a doormat. I told you to be thankful. 
You can do the right thing. You can stand up for what's right. You can do it in the right way. You can make a godly, a spirit-led appeal. You can write a letter. You can do what you need to do. But you can also be totally thankful for where God has you and what God is doing in your life and make this choice to be grateful. I think sometimes parents see a chapter like Romans 1 and they look at their kids and they get scared to death. Oh, Lord, that wouldn't happen to my kids. Oh, Lord, God, don't let that happen to my kids. And we do need to pray that. But did you know that you can get ahead of it? You don't have to chase all of these things. Backbiters and haters have gotten spiteful and proud and this and that. Wear yourself all out. Just go to the beginning. Teach your child to get to know God personally. Teach them how to glorify God in everything. Singing his praises. And by the way, let me just stop there and say, if your kids are struggling with thankfulness, gratitude, and contentment, they may have learned it from you. So if we're griping and singing that song, we need to sing a different song and teach our kids the first, second, third verse in the chorus. How to glorify Him as God and then make the choice to be thankful. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, this is easy to preach when things are good. Easy to live when things are good. Thank you, Lord, for this great day. Thank you, Lord, for that promotion. But it's a whole lot harder when things go bad. And this is where we need to make some decisions ahead of time. Write some things down. Make yourself accountable to your spouse. Hey, hon, whatever happens with this, this decision at work, we're going to thank God for it. Whatever happens with this prognosis from the doctor, we're going to thank God for it. And just get ahead. I'm going to make the choice to be thankful. Romans 1 is a scary passage, but I'm glad to know that if we can get this right at the beginning, we don't have to go down that, down that progression. Get to know God personally. Glorify Him as God and make the choice to be thankful. Lord, we come to you tonight, a people who has so much to be thankful for. We have so much that you have given to us freely. Lord, we love you, and we are humbled by what you've done in our lives, how you stick with us, forgive us, restore us, and use us. I pray that you would teach us to be thankful. To teach us, Lord, to submit. Teach us to bow. Teach us to rest and just rest in praise. Let you be God. And enjoy your presence and your love and your goodness. I pray you'd help us this Thanksgiving season to truly have a heart overflowing with praise for our good God. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.